The Raiders have made it very clear that Jalen Carter is not going to be a part of their draft board. I'll talk a little bit about that. And then we have a fun sports mailbag segment with a couple listeners that have shared their questions and opinions. I would love to answer for you, friends. That'll be segment two. Let's get into today's episode. Now, I have heard this as a rumor, but also a report. Bottom line is everyone's been reporting on it today. And the topic is, again, that Jalen Carter will not be considered at all by the Raiders. Now, you can look at this two different ways. To start things off, some might say the negative aspect. The Raiders are a team that need a lot of talent. Passing up on someone like Jalen Carter could be a very dumb decision, knowing that he probably wouldn't have been available where they're picking unless it was for his off-field issues. They've brought in questionable characters like Vontez Perfect and Antonio Brown before. Brown, who had more legal issues than what Jalen Carter's ever had. So they were okay even giving up draft capital for a player like Antonio Brown years past and making him the highest paid receiver in the NFL, despite never starting a single game for the Raiders. But... They want to pass up arguably the best D tackle in the draft. Now, we all know that, that they've, they've had some questionable figures there, and sometimes the Raiders take an interesting player here or there. But the counter-argument is something that's pretty obvious, my friends. Maybe some people forgot, but last I checked, um, they were the team that had Henry Ruggs Uh, A part of it before he got into his legal issues. Now, for those who don't remember, Henry Ruggs was a very popular standout receiver from Alabama that ended up going to the Raiders. And I don't know if it was a second or third season, but he was a very young receiver. Absolute speed. You know, he's one of those burner guys that could just blow open the roof of a defense. But unfortunately, he almost lost his life speeding like 140 miles an hour with his Corvette and rear-ending a woman, killing her and her dog. Just a tragic incident. He got injured as well. Very bad situation. So I understand why the Raiders would be hesitant to go for Jalen Carter. Henry Ruggs is going to be sitting in a cell the entire time he could be playing football due to an incident like this. Now again... We're kind of in this teeter-totter right here, my friends. You could say, they need Carter. They need defensive line. Why not draft the best available one that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for his issues? You've dealt with people that have had these issues before, so you would be able to help them get out of it. Or, you could say, since you have dealt with these issues, It does not make sense for you to invest draft capital into it, knowing what they have been the last couple years. I find it hard to necessarily trust a guy that has had issues with going too fast. Antonio Brown had that a couple times. Henry Ruggs obviously had it. After a while, if that behavior is not killed off, they're going to pull Henry Ruggs. They're going to get someone killed in a car accident. I understand Jalen Carter didn't get anyone killed while he was speeding and street racing, and it was the 
Georgia staffer or assistant coach that lost her life with another player when they wiped out. But he was still a part of it. It could have been very likely if a couple things didn't go their way that he could have been the one that maybe bumped them while street racing and he ends their lives. Or he hits a parked car or he hits a car crossing an intersection. Bottom line is, yes, he's not being charged with that, nor did that happen. But once you have a behavior of that, that is a cause for concern. And it it would be like, you know, the Raiders going through an emotional breakup where they were abused and then wanting to start a relationship with someone that has a history of being an abuser. You wouldn't, you would be cautious. You wouldn't recommend it. You wouldn't give them the chance. Even if they may change over time, Jalen Carter has a lot to prove before I think a lot of teams can feel comfortable about taking him. Now, I don't know how far he falls in the draft. I've still seen him go as high as three in some mock drafts. I've seen him go as far as 20th in some mock drafts. He'll be a very... Uh, I almost said pulverizing. No, it's polarizing player because we don't know where he'll go. He could go third overall. He could go 25th overall. And until that day comes, I really don't have an answer for you guys. And I'm not saying this is someone that doesn't know football. I'm saying this as this is how everyone's going to be feeling. I think that this will be one of the most interesting topics for draft night as we have no clue what's going to happen with Jalen Carter. He was a guy that a lot of people thought could have gone number one overall to the Chicago Bears before they traded their pick. Now he might not even be sniffing the first round. Now, we don't know who the Raiders are necessarily going to pick. I kind of feel like they could go quarterback there, play Jimmy G, and develop a starter behind him. If not, I think they maybe go corner because... A lot of the better pass rushers will be off the board by then. So it makes more sense for them to maybe get the best secondary player, you know, a cornerback like uh, Devin Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez. But I don't don't know. The fact that they're passing up Jalen Carter is interesting because I think there's teams ahead of them, like my Detroit Lions, that might take him. Who knows? But overall, I'm excited to see where he goes. This is going to be an interesting story, something we'll be able to talk about when updates come out. This is the first big one where a team has said outright, we are not drafting him. They showed their hand and they just said, hey, we're not taking the guy. So very interesting to see what happens. My whole thought on it is it makes sense. They've had baggage with with players with speeding before. They see what happens when that happens and they don't really want to deal with it. They don't feel safe doing that. I understand it. What do you guys think about it? We'll let you know. You know, If you want to address your thoughts in the comments, my Facebook fan page is a great spot to do that. Speaking of Facebook fan pages, we're going to be heading into part two soon where I have two good, I guess, mailbag segments that I want to share with two commenters and their um, comments, I guess. Yeah, comments, commenters. <laughs> Let's get into it. Quick little interruption here. We are only now 10 unique listeners away from 100 total unique listeners of the show. That is amazing, if you ask me. It is absolutely blown away 
my expectations. I never thought something like this would be possible. So I thank you, anyone who has given a chance to listen towards the show. I appreciate the time, and I hope that you find this content entertaining. Thank you for all of the support, and I hope we can get to 100 listeners. Let's go. Thank you for the little bit of self-promotion. Now let's get into our Q&A segment for the day. Now, if you want to be a part of this segment, I will be making posts, or you can leave your comments in, um, leave comments on when I post my uploads on Facebook, my links to them, and I'll be able to read the comments since I, you know, don't have the biggest fan base. I'll be able to read almost every comment, maybe react to them, or at least give them a like, and then I'll give my thoughts of it on the show. We have two of them today. I'm going to start with a John Taylor Mayer. Hmm. Very similar name, uh, last name. Maybe, maybe I need to do you know a, a twenty-three and me, see if we're related or something like that. But John Taylor Mayer, John T, he has a question for the show. What teams have helped themselves the most in free agency, and what teams have helped themselves the least in free agency? Well, John T, I'll give you a couple teams that I think have helped themselves the most. And the least when it comes to our free agency slash trading period. To start things off, I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins. They have Tua under contract still as a rookie deal. And while they did pick up his option and his contract is still looming in the shadows, they were able to address a lot of holes on their defense. Their defense was not only the worst in the division, it was one of the worst in the conference when it came to points given up. They were able to trade and use some of their cap room to get Jalen Ramsey. They added depth to their linebackers, and they did acquire Bradley Chubb at the trade deadline of last season. With all of that put together in a full season under their belt, I think that that is a unit that is going to do much better. And as long as Tua Tagovailoa stays healthy, I think that they are a team that could honestly win the division next year. I think they added more to the defense, and I think they have honestly... Again, as long as Tua is healthy, I think they have a better, more dynamic offense than the Bills. Another team that I think has won very well in free agency is the Atlanta Falcons. While I am still worried about what they're going to do at the quarterback position, and they seem very sold on Desmond Ritter, they were able to add several pieces in free agency. I talked a little bit about it. Uh, in a previous episode, they acquired Jesse Bates, a safety. They acquired an amazing veteran, Calais Campbell. I can't praise him enough. Former Walter Payton Man of the Year, despite being a little older, I believe he's 36 now. He still put up five and a half sacks, which I believe would have led the Falcons last season. And now he's not as 15 sack guy he was even three or four years ago. Calais Cambolo is a guy that is going to demand respect in the locker room and will get it. A veteran that, that knows how to win at the highest level. A big pickup for the Falcons. They really didn't add a ton on their offense, but they really didn't need to. They have young players under contract at every position, uh, every skill position. Kyle Pitts, the tight end, Drake London, the run, uh, receiver, and Tyler Algier, the running back. If Desmond Ritter can prove he is the guy, now I have my doubts, but if he can prove he's the guy and play kind of at the level, you know, a young Dak Prescott did on a rookie contract, the Falcons could actually it we it's all on Desmond Ritter, but if he can play like a solid starter in this league, I don't think it'll be as runaway of a division as the Saints might think. Because honestly, if 
again, it all comes down to Ritter. I think that they have a more talented defense than the Saints. It's a little younger. While they do have some good veterans like Campbell, I think that they're a little younger. And I think the the additions to the secondary could mean that the Falcons are a little better. Finally, when it comes to big free agency, there's a lot of different ways we could go for our final team I'll pick. I had a couple in mind. I'll go with the Chicago Bears. Again, very similar to the Falcons. While I like, um, and I still think they have to prove stuff with Justin Fields, I like him, but he hasn't been able to prove himself much due to the lack of talent on the team. I think, though, adding a lot of pieces, adding a defense to actually keep them in games so he's not always playing down by two touchdowns, I think adding defensive pieces, I think acquiring DJ Moore in the offseason, I think that these are all great moves for the Chicago Bears to really help them get to the next level. They've kind of kind of just been a dwindling bottom feeder team for a while now, and I think adding a lot of pieces to the defense is a great way for the Chicago Bears to really get over the hump this year. Not necessarily saying that they're going to be a playoff contender or a Super Bowl contender, but I think that they have made some really good moves. They've added a lot of pieces to their defense. Again, I talked about the receivers that they have gotten. They, they've made some really good moves. Tremaine Edmonds is a linebacker. Uh, adding Dante Foreman, Travis Homer as running backs to, to kind of boost that position group after losing David Montgomery. They've added enough around Justin Fields now where he can truly have his prove-it season and with the draft equity they got for trading back, they will know by next season if Justin Fields is the guy because they will most likely have a winning record this season. Or if not, they will have the draft capital to replace him. Now for the teams that didn't do much in free agency, the easy one that I will share first is the Green Bay Packers. Unfortunately, being in the Aaron Rodgers you know, holdout contract trade issue, because he is still on their books and he is not officially a Jet, he is still part of their cap hit, his big contract. And with that, that means they really don't have much to do. All they've really done in free agency is lose players. They lost Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, two veteran receivers. They lost their veteran starting tight end in Robert Tunyon. Those are all big hits to their offense, and I don't think that will help Jordan Love at all, knowing that they lost three veteran targets for him, three safety options for him, and then a solid deep threat receiver in Alan Lazard. Or, you know, he's kind of just an all-around very well-balanced receiver. I think that this is crucial for a team that really is going to have a change of identity moving on from Aaron Rodgers, and they lost a lot of their veteran pieces. Moving on to another team that I'm worried about since free agency, despite being able to keep the guys, it's not necessarily that they had a bad free agency, it's just the fact that they really aren't going to be improving. It's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that, that some of their free agent signings have been okay, as in bringing back longtime linebacker Levante David has been good, but I do worry about the Baker Mayfield signing in Tampa. To me, this sounds like that they are kicking the can down the road for another season to compete. I don't think that Baker Mayfield is a quarterback that you can necessarily win with anymore. 
That sounds mean, but it is true. If you are on three teams in two seasons, your career is not, a, you know, the trajectory is not going up. And I don't think his now fourth team in two years is going to be a new landing spot for him to become the face of the Buccaneers. And I don't think the Bucs are viewing it that way either. I see, you know, them moving on from guys, obviously Tom Brady retired, but then moving on from Leonard Fournette. I think this is a sign of a team that is realizing that their playoff window is closing. And I perfect example with the Levante David signing. I don't know why he would necessarily come back knowing that he really won't have anything to play for here in Tampa. I could be completely wrong and maybe Baker Mayfield pulls a Geno Smith and pulls a near Pro Bowl all-pro season out of his behind and Tampa Bay's back in the running for the division next year. I highly doubt that. I think what's going to happen is Baker Mayfield will play average enough to maybe get a contract somewhere else. A lot of heads roll in the coaching staff. There's a new ideology. There's a new head coach that comes in, and they probably start a long rebuild where Baker Mayfield is the bridge quarterback until they find the replacement. I Again, this is kind of why I don't know necessarily why they brought in someone like Baker Mayfield and re-signed Levante David, a win-now kind of signing, when they have a young quarterback in Kyle Trask, who's now a third-year player, similar to Jordan Love, where they could have taken a chance on him, but they really aren't giving him an opportunity, so you wasted a high second-round draft pick on a guy that's probably never going to play now, and you're bringing back guys that you know, are solid players. Levante David's good, but he's not going to really help you get over the hump anymore. He's older, and while he's still a very good linebacker, you've lost too many pieces, and you've obviously proven that you're not a good enough team with Tom Brady, out of all people, to to be a real Super Bowl contender. So I don't see what the Buccaneers are going to be doing without Brady. Finally, the last team that I think kind of had a poor offseason, or if we want to talk about free agency, it would be the Tennessee Titans. They lost Robert Woods, their leading receiver. They really haven't been able to fill that hole. We really don't know what's going to happen with Ryan Tannehill due to his massive contract. Malik Willis, like I said yesterday, looked rawer than cookie dough. He needs some more time to develop and bake up, I guess, if you want to say it, and develop before he should ever see the football field again. How do you do that, though, when you have no no receiving weapons? I don't care who they have added in free agency. They don't have a number two receiver on a team that doesn't have a number one receiver. Them trading A.J. Brown shut their playoff window faster than I think they even believed was possible. And again, with a lot of win-now pieces like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't know what the Titans are necessarily going to be doing. They brought back some of their guys, but it doesn't necessarily make sense knowing that Derrick Henry is going to be most likely traded. Ryan Tannehill is not going to be able to carry that offense on his own without Derrick Henry to run play action with. And again, Malik Wellis, unless he turns into Lamar Jackson, is probably not an NFL starter in this league, unfortunately. So those are my big three winners and three losers when it comes to free agency, Mr. John T. Our second question of the day actually goes to baseball. Now, I don't necessarily talk baseball much on this show, but you know what? 
I do love it. It is opening day. So, well, yesterday was opening day. This is going to be our Friday episode. But Tom Butcher asks, will the new rules in baseball designed to speed up the game help increase a younger audience to watch baseball? So now my baseball fans that don't necessarily know what the new rules are, I will share some of them with you. To start things off, there is now a pitch clock, similar to football, where there is a uh, game clock where you have like 30-ish seconds to snap the ball and get your next playoff, or like in basketball, where there's a shot clock where a shot needs to be taken and hit the rim in order for it to not expire, there is now a pitch clock in baseball. This means a pitcher needs to deliver the ball to home plate before the pitch clock expires. How that works is there is 15 seconds when there is no one on base. That then moves to 20 seconds when there is someone on base. This speeds up the game rapidly. Some of the metrics that I heard is it's shrinking innings from almost 10 minutes an inning to maybe or like half inning, like obviously like three at batters, you know, switching sides. It goes from about 10 minutes to only six minutes, six and a half minutes. At bats are taking way fewer amounts of time. It's speeding up the game rapidly, and these games are getting done faster. One of the things that helps with baseball is that by being a faster sport, people are going to have fewer distractions while watching the game to, to lose interest in it. From what I've heard, I've heard several radio stations talking about it or just random people on social media. In today's day and age where there are distractions every 10 seconds, and this isn't just for a younger audience, I love my dad. He loves Facebook, though. He loves his phone. I do, too. I can get distracted very easily and lose a half an hour scrolling through TikTok. I think all of us do that nowadays. Everyone has a social media addiction or an internet addiction, and that can just immediately lose interest in whatever you're watching on TV. I think this helps with those distractions. When you don't have time to check your phone because you're busy watching a close baseball game, you're not going to do so. People don't always check their phone when they're at a live game, but, you know, when there's commercial breaks and announcer breakdowns and timeouts and, you know, it's 40 seconds between every pitch, it's easier to check your phone and not necessarily pay attention. Now, I will share another thing that has my concern for baseball necessarily, Um and it doesn't necessarily have to do with the rules. This will be a part two to your question. Um, but some of the things that I like about these moves, another rule is slightly bigger bases. This could lead to safer play, according to what they said with tests. They're a little flatter, a little wider. This should help with injuries or players running into each other on the base path. Another one is they're removing the shift, helping hitters that are more dominant hitting to one side of the field for what for those who don't know, the shift is pretty much taking the infield, so your first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, and third baseman, and pretty much taking one of them and putting on the other side of the field. So you got three defenders on one side and then one on the other. This helps them uh, analytically when it comes to a player that might hit to the right 70% of the time. They'll have a better chance of getting him out. They have banned that, so you can no longer do that. Again, I think it is a solid move. It helps speed up the game. It'll help with more offense, which will draw more highlights. There is one thing that I've learned in the social media world that I've been sucked into over the years when it comes to sports. I think NFL is the king when it comes to TV viewership, mainly due to the fact that they get primetime slots on channels that are always available, like Fox, CBS, 
and ESPN. Everyone seems to have those. And because of that, they're always going to be in prime time slots. That's not always necessarily the case with baseball. An example is I was working today, so I didn't even get to see my Detroit Tigers play their first game of the season. Because these games are always at weird times of the day, not everyone's interest is going to be seeing them. So where do you get the highlights? Where do you get the news from them? Social media. The king of this right now, in my opinion, is basketball. NBA highlights are everywhere on Twitter, on ESPN, on YouTube. You can find compilations of ESPN or of, of basketball dunks, plays, and highlights. And they do that very well, mainly due to the fact similar to baseball, they're not always on primetime slots. Yes, you get baseball night in America, but you don't always necessarily get primetime football. I get CBS and Fox on my basic cable you know, service, and I get a whole afternoon of football. But some of these games are region-locked due to how these mid-level um, TSN networks work. So I can't watch like the Pirates and the Dodgers unless they're on you know, the primetime slot, unless I have the MLB network package, but I don't necessarily want to pay money for that. So where do I get my highlights? social media. Like I said previously, the NBA is killer with that. I honestly, I get more knowledge and information of basketball through that than actually watching a game. And I think more people as fans do that as well. Now, I, basketball is different than baseball where you can have one crazy highlight play. And that's kind of what that specific game is known for. Baseball, we know what a home run looks like. And it, it it's very well known how the game you know, is run. There's, Yes, you can be excited for a home run, but I don't think that that necessarily transitions well to social media as it does um, necessarily uh, basketball or football where every play can be a, a major highlight. My concern with baseball is how the networks work it out right now, these TSN networks. An example for me, I think of Bally Sports. That is like my local network that does all of my Detroit Tigers, Detroit Pistons, and Red Wings content. Apparently, they are going bankrupt due to lack of viewership, due to a lot of people cable cutting. I worry about baseball with that kind of audience. A lot of people cut cables in, during COVID, during the pandemic, and because of that, they moved on from some of those sports. A lot of them, the NBA paused for a bit, baseball paused for a bit, hockey paused for a bit. The only one that really stuck through the entire time was NFL football. And you see how it happened. They still made those primetime slots. People still would, you know, get a Thursday night football. And I think that's still the king sport in our country. Now, I've said a lot of stuff here, a lot of stuff, and I've gone several directions. But here is what uh, worries me about baseball. I think it helps a younger audience with some of these new rule changes to speed up the game. What worries me more about the game of baseball right now is how it's broadcasted. Due to these local TSN networks and being locked into certain things and region locked, again, if I lived and decided to move to Florida, but I want to watch my Detroit Tigers, I need to have MLB network or the MLB package with cable in order to see them. That's a subscription that I have to pay for on top of basic cable if I want that. It's harder to access all of the baseball content out there. You don't get to see every game like you do with football. 
outside of the uh, Amazon Prime game, if you have cable, you get every NFL football game for the week for the most part. You get your local game, you get a midday game, you get a primetime game. You're maybe only missing like three games in your region. And even then, if you have NFL Network, you might even be able to see highlights of them. That's not the case with baseball. There's a lot of games you do not get to see. And because it's such a longer season, there's just so much content from baseball that you're missing. My big issue is that. That is my big concern with baseball. And I wonder where they go as cable starts to slowly become a dinosaur and be moved on from. Do they make their own app, their own streaming service? Where does Major League Baseball go once Fox Sports um, or Bally Sports or whatever these local networks slowly go away and die off? Again, Bally Sports is filing bankruptcy. Where am I going to see my Detroit Tigers, Detroit Pistons, and Red Wings? That is the big question for sports that aren't necessarily football. So while I do like the new rule sets, I think it helps speed up the game. I think the pitch clock helps. I've seen a lot of games shortened from three hours to two and a half hours or three and a half hours to two hours and 45 minutes. I think that will help with attention spans. But my biggest issue when it comes to a, attracting a younger audience is just finding platforms where they're on. Again, a lot of younger people get a lot of their content from social media. It's why a lot of younger people like NBA basketball. They get all of their highlights from YouTube and Twitter and social media. You don't necessarily get that from baseball because it's a longer piece of content and it's usually on platforms that aren't necessarily accessible to everyone across the country. So, Tom, I hope I got your question answered well, maybe helped inform you a little bit or at least entertained you for a bit. I thank you two both for sending some comments and I would love to react to more that gets sent. I will keep updating posts, keep making a posts like this, I would be more than happy to answer content. I love talking baseball, as you heard me rant about it for about 10 minutes there without breathing. But I would, you know, I know I mainly do football, but I would love to try and, you know, talk baseball with you guys or talk basketball with you guys if that is a little niche that you'd like me to dive into every once in a while. I'd say my knowledge is mainly best with basketball and football. I used to follow baseball religiously, though. I used to know the starting rotation of my Detroit Tigers, how the batting order was. I'd follow, oh my gosh, I'd follow all the stats. I knew the starting rotations of most of the teams in the league. Who were the real contenders? Who were the powerhouse teams? I haven't been able to follow it probably since the big pandemic, of course, due to the fact that my poor Tigers just haven't been good the last couple of years. It's been hard for me to want to follow a team that just hasn't been very good. So with that being said, if you want to hear me talk about more sports, I'd be more than happy to. I love college football. I love college basketball. I love NBA basketball as well. But I mainly stick to football because it's my favorite uh, sport, I guess, to talk about out of all of them. And I think I have the most knowledge of it. So again, let me know what your thoughts are. If you want to have more questions answered, feel free to hit up my Facebook page. The link to that is in my spot or Spotify podcaster profile. Just on, you know, you click on the, the profile and there should be a Facebook link there to it. You can check it out, follow it. I always post when there's new episodes. I also make posts like this where you can 
send me your questions and I'd be more than happy to respond to them. With that being said, we're going to wrap up this episode today. Hope you all enjoyed. If you did, feel free to rate and review my podcast on Spotify or Apple, whatever platform you choose to listen to it on. And feel free to check out my Facebook page where I do, again, send questions, comments, and update you guys on when new episodes are dropping. Thank you for all listening and have a great rest of your day. Take care.